Welcome to another episode of No Need to Ask Podcast. My name is Amani Duncan, and I will be your host on this journey. So friends, I was thinking that maybe I should try something different with this interview. It's, it's so good, and I love the guests that will be joining us shortly. So I didn't want to edit the interview too much. So I decided, why not do part one and part two? So part one will be a part of a new series that I am doing called CEO Talk. And it's where I bring on the show and interview my friends, colleagues, dynamic individuals that are leaders in their various industries. They have risen to the very top of the corporate ladder as CEOs at their own companies or at companies that they work with. On today's show, I have the extreme pleasure of interviewing one of my dearest friends, Madeline Nelson. I can't breathe. Mountain tops and bus stops echo. He can't breathe. Madeline Nelson is the CEO of Heads Music. It is female-founded and female-led. I remember the first time I met Madeline, and it was actually at the 2019 MTV Video Music Awards. We were in Newark for the first time, Newark, New Jersey, for the very first time, and at the Prudential Center. And so part of the live broadcast, during the creative process, we wanted to highlight key artists that were from New Jersey. So, of course, it wouldn't be a perfect tribute without the multi-hyphenated, amazing Grammy Award winner, Wyclef. So, through some people, I was able to connect with Madeline, and we were able to bring this moment to life. And pretty much the rest is history. She's been a tremendous ally for me, a true friend, and someone that I believe everyone needs to know. So... Madeline, welcome to No Need to Ask Podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Imani. Wow. Thank you. I, I feel important. Well, you are important. <laughs> so never doubt that one. <laughs> Madeline has just, you have just the most amazing career. Like, not only are you a tremendous mentor to so many, especially to me, um, and I, I've, I've learned so much through our experiences together, and I'm so thankful um, to have you in my life. But you have this incredible career that I think everyone needs to know. So, I mean, you know, when I look at it, it's, you know, starts as off as a talent booker for, you know, yeah. at the Apollo, you know, yeah. for Showtime at the Apollo. You went on to b- go into management with such big names at literally, you know, you shepherd in these incredible moments that change the trajectory of, of, of certain artists. Um, you have major label experience at the most high level. Um, and you know, (laughs) something I found out recently, which I was like, Girl, why didn't you tell me about this? You know, working with Donna Karen. I mean, I was like, (laughs) rewind. We need to have a full discussion about this. And then obviously going on to starting uh, the independent label heads music. So take us through, you know, I don't want to start at the very (laughs) beginning. Like, Google her. She's important. Um, But, like, I want to talk about key moments in your journey that um, 
were, ch- you know, maybe something was challenging um, that you had to work through and hopefully turned it into a positive. And then, you know, those beautiful moments, those high moments that um, really made you feel even more confirmed that you were on the right track, that wow. the music industry being in the business of music was, you know, exactly where you needed to be. Wow. Okay. So I, you know what, I, I will start a little bit at the beginning. Okay. Um, when, when I was at a showtime at the Apollo, um, you know, being, being a kid in Harlem, it's it, making it to the Apollo stage is kind of like the biggest deal, right? It's yep. even like getting inside to see a show, just like a really big deal. Um, so big. So when I was an intern there, I was an intern in the wardrobe department. And the only thing cool about that was like how much I loved fashion. Like I was already as a kid, like a total slave to to fashion. And, um, but the rest of it, I found out like there was nothing, there's nothing glamorous about this. You're like, out picking up clothes, you're taking clothes back, you're getting right. things dry clean before you take them back, you're dressing people, whatever. Um, and, and in the wardrobe department one day, I was crawling around on the floor looking for like a button that I had been chastised. If I don't find it, my career was going to be ruined before it started. <laughs> and, and, and I happened upon the boot of someone, someone was standing there and I like bumped into his boot almost with my head on the floor. And I looked up and there's this man and he's like, who are you? <laughs> I, I didn't know him from Adam, never saw him a day in my life. And I stood up and I said, Oh, I'm the person that's going to be the executive producer of this show one day. Speak it he, into existence. He was the executive producer. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was Chuck Sutton. Oh and, my gosh. Um, he just laughed. He laughed and he walked away. He didn't say anything else to me. He didn't ask me my name. The next day I was told that I was leaving the wardrobe department. I was going to be a PA. Can I just tell you, I thought that man was going to be somebody's personal assistant. I didn't know there was such a thing as a production assistant. Um, <clears throat> but I was going to be a production assistant and I, it didn't matter to me what the PA stood for. I was happy. I wasn't going to be crawling on the floor in wardrobe anymore. <laughs> um, And I found out on my first day that kind of all it really meant was like going to get donuts and coffee and things like that. And I remember being very frustrated about all of these tasks and, and venting to Mr. Sutton about my frustration and him saying to me, you see the script I'm writing? Yeah. You see, he's like naming all of the things that were going on, that all of the people were doing that I was getting the donuts and the coffee for. And I said, yeah. And he goes, so if we went to get the coffee and the donuts, how would this get done? And what happened was that instilled something in me about the process and, and about hierarchy, not necessarily being all about position but really like being about understanding like the, the roles in the team and how like each one elevates the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that, that lesson opened my mind up about what all the possibilities were. If you could like understand all the players on the chessboard, if that makes sense, I hope this is all making sense. And, um, and so when I opened my mind, I knew 
I was going to be so much more than a PA. I, I had never thought past even being the wardrobe assistant at that time is my point. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I was going to be a senior vice president of anything. I knew how badly I wanted to be in music. That's why I was at Apollo. Um, but I, I knew, understood then that if I could think like that person, if, if this person doesn't do this, then this person can't do this. And then this person can't do this. And this person can't do this. Then I could be the leader of something, the owner of something or whatever. So like, I never, ever took my mind out of that space of, of, I could be after that. It's like, I just have to understand that this is, this is how the world works. Amazing. This is how it works. I mean, you were literally thinking already like an operations person. Yeah. But, and I didn't know that. I didn't know what, what that was called. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, but, and, and I really, and I, I have no problem saying this um, through my therapist very recently realized that's how I was thinking all along. Like we just started breaking down certain things that I've done across my career mm-hmm. and it all kept coming back to this lesson and the, and the way I did things after that always were, were like based on that same lesson. And so what happened at Showtime was I had to work with all the labels. And so when I was working with all the labels, then I started to understand the real master plan. Like you started to understand marketing, promotion, publicity, all of it. Mm -hmm. Mm Because you're talking to all these team members who have some kind of interest in getting this artist on this show and what happens past the show. And you start to understand like what, what it means to have certain jobs inside the labels. So then I could, I started to figure out what, I was like what, what my role could be in the music business. And it was a and R that's what I, I believed at first it was a and R. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I booked black street <laughs> on showtime at the Apollo. I booked two acts that the head booker had said no to. And that was the Fugees and black street. <laughs> what <laughs> that? Yeah. Wow. And in the Fugees, they said no, because the Fugees refused to come on if they couldn't play their instruments. Mm-hmm. It's, it couldn't be a band and black street had a song, um, called booty call. That was their single. Oh yeah. And showtime's a family show. We couldn't have booty call on the show, but I went to the executive producer and I played him joy. Now mm-hmm. at this time, I didn't know anybody in the Fuji's and I know anybody in black street. Wow. I played him joy. And before I let you go. Mm-hmm. And he said, if they'll sing those songs, then they can come on the show. That was my introduction to Black Street. That is how I eventually ended up working with Jimmy Iovine, how I eventually ended up managing Black Street, because I knew there was something so special about them that we shouldn't pass up having them on the show. Mm. And, and so then moving into that space where there was like Jimmy and there was like Teddy Riley and they were like trusting my instincts and Amazing. they were like betting me like, no, you're wrong. This isn't the single. If this is a single. I'll buy you a Mercedes. And then it would be the single and I would get the Mercedes. And <laughs> nice. I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm kind of good at this. Nice. Uh, but to that, that, that like put me like heavy, heavy, heavy in the music space. And so for several years, that was my space. I worked with Blackstreet and 
it took us a couple of years to make Black Street's second album. So I, I was nowhere around for the first one, but the first one had done almost a million copies. And one thing Jimmy Iovine was betting on was that the second album would take the first album over a million and the second one, if it was as even as good, not better, even as good as the first one, was going to mm-hmm. do even more. Mm-hmm. And he was right to the tune of like 10 million sales. Um, so we cut, we made the album and we covered a Beatles song. So now here's how this all intertwines. So Michael Jackson was the owner of the Beatles catalog. Yes, indeed. During this time frame, I also was working with Michael Jackson because Teddy was working with Michael Jackson. Oh. And and that relationship was one of the most beautiful ones I've ever had in my life. We like we would compare books. Mm-hmm. Um, we would give each other books to read and come back and, and like give each other questionnaires on the books and things. He like he was an amazing, amazing human. So when we wanted to do a cover on that album of Buy Me Love, EMI said we we could never clear it. Every everybody said we could never clear it. Jim said you can never clear it. I said, bet me a car. <laughs> like Another bet me, car. Get me a car. I can't hear this. I love um, it. And I literally, it's, and it's not, I'm not bragging to say this, but I called Michael. Like, right on. I, I could like get on the phone and call Michael. Such a boss move. And he, and Teddy, Teddy would tell you this, you know, any day of the week, he'll tell the story. And like, like it was nothing. He said, of course, anything for Teddy. Anything oh for gosh. Teddy. So he clears it. So now we show up with a Beatles cover, but we had turned it into a ballad. If you remember the album, right? Mm-hmm. We made like a slow yep. version of "Buy Me Love," mm-hmm. which also, by the way, they didn't want to clear because now it wasn't wasn't a cover; it was an interpolation. Right? We, yeah. But at any rate, Jimmy Iovine was like, "Holy shit, we have a Beatles song cleared. That's the first single." <laughs> Man, Black Street were like, no, it's not. The first single is No Diggity. Mm-hmm. Jim was like, nope, it's Buy Me Love. That's what we're going with is Buy Me Love. So I gave some people a warning at the label. And again, another story that um, Teddy loves to tell and, and would be happy to tell. And then I came back to the group and said, listen, we're going to have to go press these records up because that's what we did back then. And ship it to radio ourselves. Mm-hmm. They don't think this is the single, but this is the single. Mm-hmm. They don't have to come chase this single. And that is how we dealt with No Diggity. And it was the and, single. And it was <laughs> the single. It was the single. It was the single. And that, that moment was a defining moment for me because I knew, like I knew Rump Shaker was the single for Rex and Effect when the Teddy's then manager was saying that's that song is trash. That song is garbage. Yeah. It's, I, I knew like I had an instinct about music and musicians. Um, and so it made it like, made me like just really have like a deep, deep, deep hunger to, to push artists to like a winning place. To, to like a real winning place. So like even with, with that song with no diggity, I knew in my entire soul, that was the song. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do whatever I have to do. But then once the song comes out, there's so much more work to do. Right. The, like all the work really starts once you like put it out there to the world. And it's like, okay, how do we make sure people hear it? Where do we have to go? 
What what do we have to do? Who do we call? Right. Who do we ask to play it? Who? Right. But do we have to kiss? You know, what what do we have? Yeah. To, yeah. Um. Yeah. So so that becomes the real work. And when we got into that, when I was managing this group in my twenties, pounding the pavement, we did in stores back then. Getting on a bus and mm-hmm. driving for days upon days to go do in stores. And then going to tour and going overseas and coming back and going overseas again because it was going number one in this country and then this country and this country. Right. When none of that felt overwhelming to me, when it still felt exciting every day that I woke up, when it never, ever felt like a task, just like something I love, I was like, I'm I'm in it. I I honestly can't imagine doing anything else. I mean, I did eventually burn out and do something else for a little while. Yeah. But it, it, it didn't ever feel like work as hard and it was hard. And especially back then. So I just want to pause for one second because you're just, as always dropping such good information for our listeners. I want to just back up two steps and talk about, the discovery process. So mm-hmm. you, you mentioned that you just knew that it was instinctual. Mm-hmm. Um, was it just that? Because you're talking about the untested and unproven, you know, in, in this, in, you know, black street went on just to be, you know, as big as big can be. And same with the Fuji's like, Mm-hmm. Is it just instinct? Because I know you and I, you know, we've been in this music business for a long time and I get this question all the time and I'm not even an A&R. I just been a part, intimately a part of the discovery process. Right. Um, and you know, you're way more closer to the creative process than I am. Is it really that simple? Is it really just that gut instinct that is the dry, is the decision maker? It is Imani. And I, I would venture to say that most, the most successful folks in the business from Sylvia Mm -hmm. to Doug, to, to those who know it from even like the second beat on a record will tell you, you, there's, you, you get something in your stomach. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, when you hear it, you know, when you don't hear it and you know, when you hear it. Right. Right. It, it really is. It's instinct. It's instinct. It's that cannot be taught. All, all the logistics can be taught. Having, having an ear like that can't, nobody can teach you an ear like that. They can teach you all about music. They can teach you about sound. They can teach you about formula that's going to work and it does work. And we've seen that formulas can work for a long time, but there's this, this thing, this gut thing about certain songs. And, and I know it because Mm -hmm. I've got more than a few that are classic songs that are never, ever going away under my belt. So I know that that's what it is. Amazing. Everyone, all these aspiring creators out there, Take a good listen to this. There, it cannot be taught. It can't. It cannot be taught. No. Wow. So, Madeline, like the story you just told everyone is just so incredible. It's it's just about so many things. Having focus, being strategic. It reminds me 
of, you know, a bit of my journey, starting out as an intern and then, you know, becoming a CMO. You were the wardrobe person crawling <laughs> on the floor. Yeah. And now you're the, you know, founder and CEO of, of a major independent label. So, you know, I always stress to young people who, you know, want to go into the music industry, but I even stretch it beyond just the music industry, just any industry. There is no magic button. There's no like light switch, you know, just like you say, the creative process, it's, it can't be taught. It's instinctual. Either you know, or you just don't know. Um, It really comes down to putting in the work putting in the 10,000 hours, always yeah. being a student, humbling yeah. yourself. Yeah. That's that. It, it's, it's really true. It's, and you know, so for me, so fast forward to now, I built my business by listening to young people. So you spoke on always being a student, right? Yes. So even after you do the work, you put in the time, you pay your dues, you still want to stay in it. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to stay in the thick of it and, and be successful unless you figure out how to surround yourself, right? Exactly. So you got you to surround yourself with people who maybe are the, the smarter people in the room. Because it's okay. Not I got no problem not being the smartest person in the room as long as I got some smart people in the room. You just hark. Oh, Madeline, what you just said made me think of our dear friend, dear departed friend, Chris Lighty. Mm. Chris would always say to me, Amani, I don't have all the answers and I don't need to have the, all the answers. Right. I just simply surround myself with brilliant minds That's and right. therefore I can never lose. That's right. That's right. It's, there's nothing happening in new technology that one of the young people working with me, either, either that they don't know, or they can't figure out much faster than I can figure it out. Like I will ask a question and they will have the answer by the end of the status meeting. If nobody knew it at the beginning of the status meeting. And, And so that's important for just for, for your growth is to like, understand as you're, as you're moving through all of these uh, positions is that you, you never have to be that. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. It is okay to humble yourself. It is okay to be a student. You're going to be a student that will become a teacher that has to become a student again. You don't have a choice. Exactly. You don't have a choice. Exactly. You will become a student again. Something, some part of the business is going to change and you're going to have to play catch up, but there's going to be somebody younger that was involved in that change as it was happening. Go find them, work with them, (laughs) convince them to come work with you. You know what I mean? And you become the student again. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so smart. Mm. So I want to touch on something that just recently happened. Um, mm-hmm. You recently just joined the board for the American Association of Independent Music. Yes. I, I just, it's huge. I mean, it's huge, Thank Madeline. You. You're so humble. Um, but it is huge. T- tell us, like, what was the motivating factor for you to put yourself out there to, you know, be voted on and to possibly join this board? Like, what 
What does it mean to you being a part of this organization? Well, so this organization, uh, lots of people don't understand what they do. You know, the biggest thing is advocacy. They, they advocate for, for independent labels and independent artists, um, for writers and producers. That is a really big deal because there's nobody out there doing that aside from, from A2IM. They're a nonprofit. They're an org. I don't think people realize that either. I did not know that. That's right. They they are an org. Um, and so the the money they take in is what gets paid in for membership. And like maybe if they get a grant or something, but there's not like a big money making agency or anything. So they're, they're basically, they're about advocacy. And then the other thing that I thought was so important, and this is the reason I joined is because they're about education. Amazing. And, and so when, when I joined, I started being privy to all this information and better understanding of everything, how Spotify, the inner workings of Spotify and Amazon Music and all these other things, um, how to get your relationship going with Sound Exchange, um, these copyright companies that I had never heard of, other indies I had never heard of that we could be collaborating with. There was just so much information. I was almost overwhelmed by the information that I now was privy to when I became a member. Incredible. Um, and so I, at first I just wanted everybody to know about them. Like, because what I noticed was there weren't a lot of black labels, not a lot of black labels. Mm-hmm. But what I also know is when we hear the term indie, we think of indie as a music genre. It is not a music genre. True. Honestly, independent music is just that. It is independent music. And so I, I know that there needs to be a shift in thought process even about that. So when people think of that organization, they don't think it's an organization for a, a black indie label to join. They don't. So there's all these black labels that aren't members that don't know the benefits that don't know the information they'd be privy to that don't know about how they advocate right now. They just won. They had been battling uh, to be able to get independent labels uh, to be able to chart on billboard and not in the top 100, hot 100. Right. One. Now it's for indies that are distributed by a major. So my next fight is going to be, what about the indies that aren't distributed through a major like mine, but we've got music that rightfully could and should be on billboards 100. So, you know, that's the next thing, but you gotta, you gotta be an inside agent. You gotta, some things have to be done from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Everything, mm-hmm. everything can be done from the outside, like kicking and screaming and fighting. Sometimes you got to do the job from the inside. So those were the reasons I felt it was important to join. Uh, when it came to my attention that I could potentially run a campaign for the board, I learned that there was no black member on the board. Wow. 2020. 2020. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and what I love about the CEO of that organization is I brought it up and he got on the phone and called me and had a conversation with me about it. Incredible. And he said, action, how, how can you help to change this? Look at that. Um, that meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. And so then what I, what I did was I lit, I'm not kidding you. 
I found the LinkedIn contact for every single member of that organization. Everybody that is a member. I spent night after night after night paying more money to get more inbox messages. And I inboxed every single member of ATOIM and said, hi, my name is Madeline. I'm a member. I'm running. This is why you should vote for me. Incredible. I, I swear to you, it was, it was funny. The, some of the messages I got back were really funny. Like people were like, no, this is, I've never gotten one of these. Um, I'm definitely going to vote for you. Yes. Um, Fortune yeah. favors the bold. Absolutely. Cause, cause what I realized because I was the only black person running. So not only no black people on the board, but I was the only black person running and the board seats go for three years. You have it for three years. Understood. So it became very important to me to, to get this seat. And I'd said, I'm not going to get it. If I don't do the work, I have exactly. to do the work. I, I have to sit here. I have to write. And I wasn't just copying and pasting. I had to write a personal message to each person. I had to like say something about their company. Like I, I, I see who you are. Here's who I am. Right. This is why you should vote for me. Wow. And, and it was meaningful to enough people that they, they did in an organization that had never voted a black person onto the board. And by the way, I don't know if a black person has ever run for the board. Well, that's, you know, I just want to dig a little bit into that. So, you know, you said with this amazing organization, the awareness about what they do. I mean, the fact that I didn't even know they were a nonprofit. Um, So it just feels like they're deficient, not only in promoting themselves and getting the word out there, but then also deficient in diversity. Well, um, yeah, and 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 that's they're not afraid to have that conversation again. That's what I like about them. Um, the CEO, his name is Richard, and he, Richard Burtis is his name, and and so the conversations because now we've had several. He's made sure that we've had several good. are about just that. How how do we bring that diversity? And and he has been tackling it, and this is what I like. He didn't start tackling it a couple of months ago. He's been tackling it. He's Very been good. trying. Good. He's been asking people. Um, he's been having these calls. He's he hasn't had anyone on the board um, that that he can have these conversations with that can actually like call things to action and board meetings and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, I'm going to yeah, without <laughs> so, a doubt, without um, a doubt. So, it's what I like about him is that. It's not new for him to, to be trying. And, and you're right though. It's a big part of it is, is marketing Mm -hmm. and and promoting the organization in a certain way. And you don't know what you don't know. Right. He didn't know about me. He didn't know I was out there. Um, I didn't know many of the, of the black owned indie labels that were out there. I just, I had to make it my business to find out who they are. And so that's what we have to do at, at A2IM. And, um, we have to go after them and we have to explain to them, this is the benefit of being part of this organization. Cause well, they're it, very lucky to have you. Madeline, thank honestly, you, thank you. they need your voice. They need your power. They need your direction because this shouldn't be this best kept secret. Right. And I know with you on That's the board, right. you will definitely amplify. We're going to talk about it. it yeah. As, as yeah. you should, as you <laughs> should. So seems like these videos stay on Memories of the gentle folks on these streets. Tears they hurt my eyes, the gas is burning. 
Madeline, so your company is called Heads Music. That's H-E-A-D-S Music. Yes. Please tell us, how did you come up with such a unique name? Um, So when I started my indie, Heads Heads was not the name. Okay. Uh, It was when I started working with Wyclef uh, that we came up with this name, with the name Heads, uh, because we wanted a name that described the definition of sound. What defines sound? So H, harmonics, is is the science of, of sound, right? So harmonics, engineering, and art defining sound. That is what HEADS stands for. It actually is an acronym for something. Incredible. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it, it just, the creativity pours out of you. And it's just, it's brilliant. It's simply brilliant. And I could thank not you. be more proud of you. You know, as always, Madeline, thank you for sharing and being so authentic as you always are. I'd love to hear your stories. And every time you tell a story, I learn even more. I'm sitting here like, <laughs> I thought I knew everything. <laughs> but it's, it's just like, I always find out some new discoveries. So everyone, thank you for tuning in to part one. And be safe and be well. Thank you, Madeline. Thank you. Headline, headline, read all about it. They hunted on the mud like a savage. The murder was so natural, they recorded it. Everybody thinking they next. Headline, headline, read all about it. Brianna Teller, eight times shot down. We ain't even safe in our own homes. Everybody thinking they next.